we get another perspective on the New York Giants draft, their progress in building a roster, and much more with Emery Hunt of CBS Sports and Football Game Plan. That's coming your way next on the Locked On Giants podcast. You are Locked On Giants, your daily New York Giants podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This episode of the Locked On Giants podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on that journey of self-discovery from wherever you are. Visit betterhelp.com slash locked on today to get 10% off your first month. Hello, New York Giant fans, and welcome to another edition of the Locked On Giants podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast family, your team every day. I'm Patricia Trainer, your host, and happy Monday to everybody. We're starting a new week, one week closer to the NFL draft. And as we are continuing our coverage leading up to the draft, joining me on today's podcast is my very special guest. Emery Hunt of Football Game Plan, also CBS Sports. He's a draft analyst over there. And by the way, he happens to be the best dressed man on the Giants beat. I mean, hands down, this guy is like the fashion icon. So Emery, so glad to see you, my friend. Glad to get you on the podcast. How you doing? I'm doing fine, Patty. Always a pleasure to talk ball with you, with you and appreciate you bringing me on. Oh, anytime, anytime. Glad to have you on now that you're such a, a big deal. And so, you, like I said, you were. Remember a few years ago, I said you were going to become a bigger deal. Yep. And, and here you are, you're a big deal. But uh, glad to have you with us. Emery, we're going to talk a little bit Giants draft here. So let's get into it. But first, I want to ask you a big picture question about the draft. Uh, and I ask this of all my my guests who cover the draft, but where do you see as as really the strength where maybe teams are going to gravitate towards as far as early rounds and making a run on certain positions? You know, and I'm glad you prefaced that question by expounding on that and, and getting an answer because some people genuinely ask, where do you see the draft being deep? And, you know, because I go so deep with the guys that I scout and and evaluate Every draft is a deep draft class for me, but to specifically ask that question, this running back class kind of reminds me of the 2017 class that had Leonard Fournette, Christian McCaffrey, Jamal Williams, uh, you know, uh, uh, Andre Jones or um, Jones from uh, the Aaron Jones from the Packers. So it's it's a really good running back group of guys, like top end guys, like guys that you can probably get in rounds two and three and be like. This guy could be our starter. So it's it's sort of similar to 2017. Um, you know, this year, obviously, when we and I've always said this, since we've seen, you know, um the advent of the passing game in, in college football, we're gonna always see an abundance of receivers and a byproduct. We'll see an abundance of corners and safeties, you know. So based on what we're getting from the college game, it trickles up to the NFL game. So I just feel like those particular groups are um pretty pretty expansive in terms of you know tight ends and safeties and all these all these positions i think because of the games that we're seeing on saturday trickle up to what we can expect to see uh, on sunday and that actually was going to be my next question to you you know based on the depth at the positions and the quality of the depth what kind of trends do you maybe see evolving that maybe we haven't seen as much of 
um, you know, and, and, and past years, like, like one thing for me that, that comes to mind, you can tell me if you disagree or not, probably the use of more tight ends, more 12 personnel, 13 personnel and stuff like that. But what do you see in that regard? I, I see this. I, I see the blurring, the even more blurring of the lines between the rigid free safety, strong safety. You better have guys that can cover. And I'm talking about cover one-on-one. So you kind of lose that that uh, designation of this is a, a free safety. This is a strong safety. You know, we saw that we, we've seen it kind of blur over the years, but I felt like this year's group, as I'm evaluating the prospects, I'm like, wow, it's, it's kind of hard to say this is a free safety. This is a strong safety. This is a combo safety. And you kind of find like you got to You got to have guys that kind of fit that mold. But all three guys better be able to at least hold their own in one on one coverage. Are you seeing a lot of more blurring across different positions? Like back in the old days, you had, you know, inside linebacker, outside linebacker, then you had defensive lineman. And now, you know, you have this ambiguous term edge. You have, you know, the, the pseudo safety you, you have over on the offensive side of the ball, you know, a tight end is now can be a, a number one receiver. Do you see a lot of that kind of filtering into the NFL? Is that a, a byproduct of what's going on in college? Absolutely. Because we remember when, you let's say you talk about a defensive end, right? You had your strong side defensive end, you had your weak side defensive end, and now your weak side defensive end has essentially become your edge defender, right? And that's someone that could easily stand up or put their hand in the dirt. And even further than that, your edge defender in some cases was your sandbacker, someone like an Oziz Ojolari who can play off ball strong side linebacker, but can also play down with his hand in the dirt and rush the passer. But now when you look at the linebacker position and you kind of blur the lines of an Aziz Ojolari, you really only can focus on, you know, two backers now because we've removed that third backer because now everyone, no, you remember everyone was running four, three. So you remove that third backer and you essentially replace him with a safety um, or someone like a Landon Collins that can play linebacker but also as a safety right and so now when you're focusing on the the pure linebacker position gone are the guys that are built like carl banks you know the 6'3 245 pound inside backers that can also play on the outside that can blitz that can cover um you're kind of getting guys that are 6'1 220 that are built like safeties but they've played linebacker that you, you maybe take a chance on a little bit more squatty guys 5'10 230 225 that can run um, so, yeah, all of those positions have sort of morphed. And I will say this. You got to give credit to Jimmy Johnson um, because he kind of saw that years, decades before when he was with Miami and then got to you know the Dallas Cowboys. He was like, hey, we, we, we want speed on the field. We're going to take guys that were linebackers, make them defensive ends, take guys that were safeties, make them linebackers. And that's how we're going to get a lot of speed on the field. And that worked for him in, at University of Miami, worked for him with the Dallas Cowboys, and we're now starting to see the rest of the, the game catch up to what he was thinking about in the late 80s, early 90s. When you look at um, this class, I mean, you, you don't want to say that it's weak in any one particular area, but when you're drafting, do you tend to, you know, say, find a position that maybe doesn't have as quality depth and maybe prioritize that more or, is, or at the end of the day, does it all just boil down to value? Because obviously you're valuing 
different positions differently. You know, a quarterback's going to maybe have a little bit more value if you need a quarterback than say, you know, a third linebacker. You know what I mean? And you got to also, and this is why I love to talk draft and and love to hammer this point home to fans that that consume draft content. A lot of times the answer may be already on the roster. You know, fans get enamored with the new name, the shiny name. They want the draft pick to come in right away. And, you know, I get that part. And in some cases, yeah, you need an impact guy that you can pluck out the draft and plop him into your starting lineup. But when you, you know, look deeper, you may say, let's say, for instance, right now, just for the sake of the argument, the Giants, right? The To me, the biggest question mark is still quarterback. Not saying that they're, um, you know, in position to go and get some one of the top three, right? But so you say, okay, they have a guy that not really sold on in Daniel Jones. They have a veteran behind him in Terod Taylor that, you know, is always one, in, one hit away from being injured, right? But you don't want to take the quarterback, because even though you know the quarterback value is high. So you're not going to reach at 24 or whatever in the first round to take a guy. But now, okay, let's say we go in round four, and there is a youthful guy that we can develop and get him into our system. Maybe we go that route. You still address the quarterback position, but now you don't have a high priority on that position. And so it all depends on where you where you stand with the with the roster where you are with certain players, with the with the draft, what falls to you. So you're saying, okay, the Giants, if they were picking in the top 10, maybe they would still be in play for one of the top three guys, right? But now that they're picking at 20 in, in the late 20s, okay, what's our second biggest need? Or where, where are we lacking depth-wise that we can get an impact guy? Some people may say linebacker, but then you could also throw back out there, hey, Remember, Beavers is coming back from injury. He was doing really well, you know, in preseason. He was a starter, you know, and then he get hurt. Then he got hurt. And they said, okay, what about wide receiver? Well, they went ahead and signed Paris Campbell. They brought in, you know, um, J- Jameson Crowder. Jeff Smith is not a bad prospect if you watch, you know, the Jets practice. And Colin Johnson was the same type of guy. He was going to be a starter. Then he got hurt. Do you want to get that guy? Do you want to get another rookie in, in the first round to add to this mix? Or... Do you go offensive line? Do you go inside back or do you go cornerback? Um, and so all of these discussions that they're having are, is probably why you see, you know, teams, uh, you know, you say value. Some teams may value, okay, what's our biggest need? Where's the greatest depth of the position in the draft? And who can help us year one? Because it's a year-to-year league. Um, you know, forget what contracts say. Coaches know they better win every year otherwise they're going to be gone so that's how they i think you kind of have to weigh it when you know when you're picking who's on the board where we where we can use the impact player and how can we best maximize the next season right right you opened up the can so i'm gonna i'm gonna follow up on this you mentioned that you think the giants maybe are still not sold on daniel jones i'm assuming that's because of the way the contract was structured. So let's talk about Daniel Jones just real quick here, if we could. Where did you see him make the biggest leap, and where is he still lacking, in your opinion? He didn't turn the ball over, and that's key. If you don't turn the ball over, you're gonna, you're gonna always be on the plus side of victory. And here's why they had success last year: one, they saved possessions. He didn't turn the ball over. Saquon was healthy and was back to his 2018 size. You know, he was a little bit too bulky. He he leaned up, 
got back that explosive burst. He was two years removed from the injury. Boom. The run game was popping. Defense did what they had to do. You won games like that. Now, where he still has to grow, he only threw 15 touchdown passes. Yes, he contributed on the ground in the run game, but you wouldn't consider him a true running threat because we saw teams that played the, the Giants stop Saquon and shut down the entire offense. So now you say, okay, well, we're going to add some receiving weapons and add some more you know, depth at the position, and but now you're going to have to ask him to throw more which was a problem earlier in his career when he threw, you know, a lot of interceptions or, you know, threw some bad balls or didn't have the accuracy you want. So for him, the question still is, can he get better or more consistent in the passing game? Because now what if Saquon gets taken away from a, you know, like the Detroit game comes to mind, the Eagles game comes to mind, the Cowboys game comes to mind. It's like, Hey, if they stop the run, can Daniel Jones, beat these guys so they're going to find out this year if that is the answer based off some of the weapons they've thrown at the position uh and, and granted yeah you Paris Campbell is fantastic but he also has that can he stay healthy tag by him? you know that that's been a big key for him um James Crowder is a good good option what you're going to get back from Colin Johnson he's another big physical receiver that's going to be on the outside give you what you would have had from Kenny Galladay or what you expected to get from him you're going to get that potentially from you know Colin Johnson you do have Hodgins, I'm a big fan of. So there's a little bit more cachet in a passing game. And I think that's where you're going to want to see the growth from him uh, in this upcoming season. And then don't, don't forget Darren Waller, too. That was a big addition. Darren Waller, I keep like, how could I forget that? That's that's essentially another big wide receiver. So now you have him with Bellinger. Um, and so you could keep your inline game and you don't even have to worry about Waller being in line. You could have him as like your big slot receiver or whatnot, you know, in terms of how you want to deploy him. So yeah, you have an expansive, you got height out there. Now you got Hodgins, you got Johnson, you got Waller, you got some size out there and you get Wondell Robinson back. You can nurse him along slowly. You don't want to rush him back out there. Now you have the luxury of not rushing him back out there. Based on the acquisitions the Giants made on that offensive side of the ball, do you see kind of like a I don't know if trend is the, night, the right word, but do you see a, a shift maybe in the philosophy of what they might be doing this year versus what they did last year? I, I still think it's about bully ball. You know, I think that's what the, the, the mantra is. I think that's where their, their headset, their, their, their headspace is right now. Hey, we want to beat guys up front. That's what they did last year. They were beating guys up front with the run game. They were beating guys up on defense with their defensive front seven. And so when you're able to do that, you control the game, which is why they were in a lot of close games. You know, when you're able to control the line of scrimmage, which they did, um, every game is going to be close and and good or bad. But the good part that they had in the back pocket, they had a game breaker in the backfield and Saquon. um, And they also had the ability when they wanted to, to blitz and get pressure. And now you're going to have, you know, another season of Kayvon Thibodeau uh, healthy. Uh, going in there and now he's going to have a little bit more pass rushing cachet in his bag it's it's going to be fun to watch them continue to dominate on the front seven and they still can get better up front uh, on either side of the ball especially with their first pick in the draft all right I want to ask you about the Giants offensive line because I think a lot of people agree that that line while not horrible last year could have been a little bit better Andrew Thomas we know he's a lockdown you know, left tackle. Evan Neal, a rookie, 
he was making the switch from left tackle over to right tackles, maybe a comfort thing. And then you throw in the injury, which I think set him back a little bit. So he had his share of struggles, but some promise shown there. Definitely the interior though. So Glowinski at right guard, not horrible, but maybe not, I think what a lot of people were hoping he would be, you know, then at left guard, you had the revolving door center, you know, now you don't have Feliciano back who started last year. You don't have Gates back. They just signed uh, Hasanoffer from uh, from Pittsburgh. I mean, when you look at that interior offensive line, you know, Shane, Joe Shane said, oh, we have some guys, but, you know, obviously they're adding to it. But what do you think they need to do there at that offensive line? How do you see that interior playing out for them? And remember, they drafted a couple guys last year that, that were really coming along well mm-hmm. uh, in Zudu and also uh, McKeithen. Those guys are some really good players. Uh, so you want to see how they're going to develop, but you're sitting at a prime spot in the draft. You know, I think, and I, it's almost like you don't want to throw it out there because you kind of, it, it is almost like you want it to happen, but, but it, it, you sort of want this pick to happen because I think it would be a, a home run pick for them right there in the first round. Osiris Torrance would be great for the giants, you know, the right guard out of Florida um, because he is so dominant on that side. Now you put him next to Evan Neal and now you can run either side. Cause I expect Zudu to take a, a step forward. Or if you want to go center, which, you know, a lot of people will say that's probably uh, where they need to go first. You know, John Michael Smith out of Minnesota is a really good one. I'm a big fan of Alex Forsyth out of Oregon. Um, there are some good centers that you can take. I know people will focus on John Michael Smith out of Minnesota. I can, I understand that completely. He's excellent. Um, but you could, I would, you wouldn't get an argument out of me if they went center or guard in pick 24. I know it's not the sexiest position. Everybody wants a wide receiver or, you know, even a cornerback would be ideal for them, depending on which guys there on the board. But if you told me John Michael Schmidt or Osiris Torrance, I would be like that. That's a, a great selection right there for the Giants. Cause it's, it feels a, a, an immediate need, um, with an impact player. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Therapy is all about deepening your self-awareness and understanding because sometimes we don't know what we want or why we react the way we do until we talk things through. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on that journey of self-discovery from wherever you are. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And if you find that your assigned therapist isn't quite right for you, you can switch at any time for no additional charge. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash locked on today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash locked on. Hey, Giant fans, thanks so much for making the Locked on Giants podcast your first listener watch every day. Now make your second listener watch Locked on NFL Draft. Damian Parson and Keith Sanchez provide the in-depth coverage of the biggest NFL draft prospects with deep dives into the sleepers and hidden gems that can change your favorite NFL franchise. Find Locked on NFL Draft wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube, part of the Locked on Podcast family, your team every day. Speaking of boards, I mean, let me 
peek into your board if we could. I mean, usually when you get down to, you know, the, the lower part of the first round, you, you tend to see more clusters of grades, guys that are clustered together. So on Emory Hunt's board, where is the best value uh, or is, is it at that offensive line spot and specifically to the Giants, of course? Well, to me, the Giants are sitting in a, in a, a beautiful spot because this is a draft that has high end quarterbacks. So you factor it'll push positions down. You know, you have a top tier corner or two that's going to push some positions down. So where the Giants are sitting, they can go O-line with a couple of guys that I mentioned. I think, you know, someone like a Brian Brissy would be excellent too. Um, a defensive lineman from Clemson. You know, I talked about Darren Beavers. Now, some people may be a little bit more reluctant of banking on a guy coming back from injury, but he was really good and, and fit what they needed, you know, during the season. He was someone that was going to be that guy you didn't take off the field because he can cover and he can pressure. So I'm a little bit more, you know, willing to let that play out and not go inside backer there. Uh, but if I did go inside backer, Deion Henley out of Washington State would be perfect because he is someone to me that reminds me a lot of Fred Warner and what he was doing uh, coming out of BYU and what he did um, down at the Senior Bowl and what he's what Fred Warner is doing, you know, currently with San Francisco. When, when Deion Henley was at the Senior Bowl this year, I there was two guys that really stood out. And there's another guy that I think the Giants should get to, which will be in play at 24. Darius rushed the corner out of South Carolina. Both of these dudes did something I'd just never seen before, not since playing ball, covering ball, coaching ball. In one-on-ones, these guys had the most interceptions I've ever seen in one-on-ones. And that's impossible to have because of how the drill is set up. It's not set up for the defense to win. It's set up for the offense to win. Deion Henley was locking down running backs in one-on-ones every day and turned the ball over. And Darius Rush at 6'2", 200 pounds, the former wide receiver at South Carolina turned cornerback. So now you think about Richard Sherman and what he was doing uh, when he made that transition from receiver to corner uh, at Stanford. But he's a much better athlete, a little bit faster, jumped higher, uh, still has the great hands of a receiver, but now he's running routes for the receivers and turning the ball over consistently. So if I'm the Giants, if I don't want to go point of attack, if I want to go linebacker or corner, those two guys would be in play. Now, because I just mentioned like four elite players, in my opinion, for the Giants with that one pick, it now puts into play, hey, can we move up or down in the draft? Because we have a couple of guys that we will want. Now we put ourselves in that spot of saying, hey, okay, can we squeeze out another selection from somebody? Or because we've done a great job in free agency adding depth and talent, do we sacrifice some of our later picks to move up to get a specific guy. So I think the Giants are sitting in a perfect spot to get whatever they need from an impact perspective in 2023. Yeah, that's a good point, you know, because that last this time last year, they basically had to kind of stay where they were for the first round, but they could potentially trade out of the first round. You you give up obviously the fifth year option, which you know I think a lot of people might be reluctant to do, but you know, certainly there, there's an opportunity to to uh, further add, especially since next year, I don't think they're going to get any comp picks based on what they've done, at least so far in free agency. All right, I want to ask you about cornerback, because that, to me, is a huge need. Um, Adoree Jackson's in the final year of his deal. 
They don't know what they're doing on the other side. They mentioned Nick McLeod, Cordell Flott. Um, I'm trying to think who else is over over there. Um, Aaron Robinson. Aaron Robinson, who's been injured. Um, so they, you know, if you want to close the gap, I think with with the with the uh, within the NFC East, you got to do a little bit better job covering some of these receivers. So when you look at the cornerback position, how deep do you think the Giants can go? Like, or to what round to to really get a quality starter? I mean, I think they should double dip personally um, in in the cornerback class because it's it's from what I understand it's historically deep. But but how far do you think they can go to to get guys that could potentially be their new starting duo down the line? I'd say probably you know round two, you know even maybe round three. Um, round three, you get a little bit more into the, okay, we need a guy that is probably best at zone or a guy that's best in man. Um, but rounds one and two, you can grab guys that, you know, dudes that can ball, you know, you need Mm -hmm. dogs out there and you can get those in the first two rounds that can start. Um, so I talked about rush from South Carolina. I think he's a really good player. Um, obviously Gonzalez is going to be gone, but Mm -hmm. that's an ideal fit. But you look at what Wink brought in. I remember last year joking with a couple of other guys, you know, on the beat. Um, we were at training camp or rookie mini camp, and everybody looked like they were cloned out of the same machine. They were all tall, long, long arms. So we know the Giants have a type. And so they want tall, long, lengthy corners that can press. And you may even find yourself looking at some safeties that can play corner that you'll draft as a safety but they're going to end up playing corner for you. So I think they can go into round two with that mindset. In round three, you start to find, okay, body types. What do we want? Who's the longest? Who has, you know, the, you know, the, the uh, great short shuttle? Who has the best press skills? Let's get those guys in, and then we can kind of coach them up to where we want them to be. To me, Emery, edge rusher is still a sneaky need for this team. Now, they have Kayvon Thibodeau. They have Aziz Ojolari, who's coming off the injuries, obviously. Um, they just signed Jihad, re-signed Jihad Ward. Ellerson Smith hasn't been able to stay on the field, so I'm not sure what they have. I don't know if they know what they have in him. Do you agree that that's a sneaky need? And if so, if you're thinking that that's a position they might address, where is the best value at that spot? Yeah, that's the thing. Too bad they're not picking number three overall because you could probably grab Will Anderson, right? Yeah. Um, and, and that's the guy, but there are some, there's guys that have athletic traits and Twitch that, you know, that you could probably find on day two, you know, I'm a big DJ Johnson fan out of Oregon who, you know, he ran four, four, nine. And everybody said, like, oh, wow. You know, DN running four, four, nine. Well, he's not your average DN. He played tight end at Oregon. Then he moved to DN, uh, edge player, you know, but now you got a guy that has athleticism, like an offensive guy that played a year of defensive, you know, in um, that, that had production that has growth potential. So that's someone that can, you can not burn a, let's say a first or second round pick, but third round pick when we were talking about body types and, you know, who checks certain boxes that we could work with, he can give you that. And he gave you, he gives you power five productivity. Cause I'm with you, even though you like the profile of Ellison Smith, it's kind of like what you, what we talked about with, you know, Darren Beavers and other guys that are coming off injury. Do you want to bank on that? And can you even bank on that? You know, the only person they're willing to trust to come back from injury is Sterling Shepard. Seemed like he is, you know, football's Rasputin. He's going to always be back. The Giants love him, right? 
But, you know, we saw this with O'Shane Zimenez. We saw this, you know, with other players. And and you hope that Ellison Smith, because when he's been out there, he has flashed some some potential. But it's the being out there part that you got to, you know, hope happens 17 times a season, right? And so, yeah, it's a, it's a sneaky, underrated need. Maybe they have something they feel as though in Taman Fox, um, another guy that, that kind of flashed when he got an opportunity. But again, yeah, if there's a if there's a height, weight, speed guy uh, in round three, I think they can go in that direction. Um, but the, it's a gift and a curse because they're picking so far down, which means, hey, you know, they did a good job in the season. Um, they made the playoffs. That's fantastic. But in this draft, you're not picking high enough to where, hey, man, maybe we can get um, this Will Anderson guy. Maybe we can make a play for him. But t- other than that, man, I think, yeah, round three is where they can start to look at Okay, who can come in and even be a situational rusher? Because I think they're solid in their base foundation of what they want to do. But sometimes when you go to that NASCAR package, you want somebody whose specific role is to get to the quarterback. And I think a guy like DJ Johnson could do that. Ten picks in the draft for the Giants. So theoretically, you can make a case that they can get at least one guy at every position of need. But that being said, we know that's not going to happen. We know that there'll probably be some double dipping. What's the one position that I think everybody is talking about that is got to, they got to have that you think maybe in this draft they can not spend a draft pick on? They can not spend one on? Not spend one on. Oh, man, that's a great question. I would probably say, I would probably say inside linebacker. I know people want, you know, the kid out of Clemson, uh, Trent Simpson, but man, listen, Beavers was, 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 was doing great at training camp um, and OTAs and, you know, all, you know, even when you go back and look at how guys were performing that one practice, that joint practice against the Jets, where we saw Colin Johnson get injured, but he was having a, a good day. We saw Richie James give the Jets secondary fits, you know, so the Giants have dudes on his roster that they can trust. Um, Beavers to me would be someone, Hey, let's just wait and see, you know, how, how he does. And, you know, if not, then we can tap into a free agency market um, for, for a veteran. But I think Beavers can kind of save them from going inside linebacker in this class, especially when you think about we can generate pressure with our front. We can get pressure on the outside. We can send blitzes. So I think everywhere else you can see them add running back. They probably won't add because I think they love what they have depth wise at running back. Um, so I think running back and inside linebacker. Uh, are two places where they can avoid. It wouldn't surprise me to see them double dip just by the nature of what the position is and how people always say there's a lack of offensive line. We saw them do that last year. It wouldn't surprise me to see them do that again this year. You want to get as many big guys you can that got talent so you can develop them because there are not that many out there that have that NFL level talent. You don't think they would double, that they would dip into the running back class? I mean, they've got Saquon, on the tag, it looks like that's where it's going to stay. And they only have Breida back for one year. And I know they've got Gary Brightwell. Um, they've got Jashawn Corbin. I think that those, those are the four guys they have at running back. There might be another one. But you don't think in a deep running back class they might not pluck somebody to try to develop or at very least put on the practice squad? I think they like what they saw last year from Brightwell. And you got to be honest, he really stepped up and played well when he got the opportunity. He showed the burst, the explosiveness. Brita, you know, again, he's the longer in the tooth guy on the roster. They love Corbin. They kept him around the whole season. And, and so they're expecting things from him. So I don't, you know, obviously they'll bring a guy in 
undrafted free agent or whatnot, but I think they can avoid that position because they got two youthful guys um, in Brightwell and Corbin, and they have Saquon that they can work out a long-term deal with. They know that's where their bread gets buttered offensively. Um, They know if they don't have Saquon, they really won't win games. Um, So they have to really take care of him. And they also have some guys that, you know, that they believe in. Again, it was rarely, especially in this day and age, rarely do you see a team keep a player on the practice squad the whole season, you know? And and so that's what they did with Corbin, uh, which speaks volumes of what they think of him. And also what we saw from Brightwell, because if we would have said this, if we had the same conversation coming in last year, I thought Corbin would have leapfrogged Brightwell because uh, we didn't see enough of Brightwell with the previous regime and just didn't think much of his skill set outside of he was a special teamer. And then he, you know, surprised me, surprised a lot of people by going in there and, and doing good things. And so I think they may be fine at, at, at running back. Okay, interesting. I would have thought they would have added somebody because Brita, you know, who I thought was underused last year, by the way, I would have liked to have seen more of Brita because when he got his hands on the ball, he was pretty good. Um, and and then, you know, with Saquon, with the uncertainty there, because again, it looks like that as of today, at any rate, it looks like he's going to end up playing on that tag. I mean, the Giants have said they're comfortable with that possibility. Um, I suspect Saquon's probably going to hold out not report for the OTAs and stuff, which are voluntary, remember, but, you know, uh, that it, that would be kind of interesting because if he plays on that tag, now you got to go through this whole, you know, exercise again next year with him. And you've got Xavier McKinney coming up for contract renewal. Um, you know, if they don't get anything done with Dexter Lawrence, you're going to have to prioritize him. So I just wonder if Saquon has a long-term future with this team. It, it That's why I was dumbfounded by the daniel jones deals like who are you competing against you know like work out the deal with saquon because that's the offense um you could find rookies to do what daniel jones did last year especially when you add the rushing part of it you could find a bunch of rookies to do what daniel jones did um i just didn't know who the giants were competing against in terms of daniel jones's contract um and working you know feverishly to get that done when you have one of the more explosive talents um, they could be Mr. Giant offensively, uh, you know, for this team in, in Saquon. So I, I feel you because if he holds out, now you're going to be you have that that issue with depth in terms of the reps you can run in OTAs. So that's why I think, yeah, they're probably going to they're going to if you're an undrafted free agent, this is probably an ideal spot for you to to jump on, um, because you could potentially get a lot of reps in the in in the in the spring, but also that could even speak volume to what they think of, you know, Brightwell and Corbin and allowing those guys to get up to speed too in the spring and not too much worry about Saquon because they feel as though they can either get something done or as the season slowly starts to approach, it may be even beneficial for Saquon to not put any more wear and tear on his body um, and be ready for the season. So it, they could, I could see both sides of the argument. Yeah, I would not be surprised if if he doesn't have a long-term deal by the time the off-season program starts, if he does sit out. I mean, especially these next couple of weeks, you know, the program's set to start on April 17th, and then, you know, OTAs are going to start about a month later. So uh, I could I could see that. But, but you know, let me, let me ask you this. You, you mentioned who were the Giants competing with. I think they were competing financially when it came to Daniel Jones because it would have cost them a heck of a lot more to franchise tag him than it would have the running back. 
So from a cap perspective, I can kind of see their thinking there, you know, let's get the quarterback sewed up and then we'll worry about the running back. But, you know, here's the thing with Saquon. And I want to ask you about this, you know, generally running backs don't have a very long shelf life in the NFL. There are exceptions, of course, but Saquon is a guy who, even though he ha- he had a good season last year, the injury history, he's also getting up there in age. How much of that do you think maybe was a factor in, in how the Giants approached this? I think it's self-fulfilling prophecy because, you know, Saquon is still a young guy, still has agility. What he has, he's not a bruiser. So his wear and tear is different than, you know, someone that's going to just plow into the back of the offensive lineman or plow into defenders. Like he is someone that can be dynamic. Um, And so that's something you value. You know, he doesn't take as many direct shots. Um, And, we know injuries are freak occurrences. I think the biggest thing for Saquon that saved him last year was the fact that he got back down to his rookie weight. Um, he leaned up when he started to bulk up a little bit too much. He was, he was, and the way he moves, um, that's too much explosiveness with too much size on those, you know, that those violent cuts and, and, you know, bursts, that's a lot of pressure on those joints. So when he leaned up, he got back to what we knew he could be. Um, and started to be a little bit more confident in his uh, in his ability again because of, you know, being two years removed from the injury. So I'm not worried about Saquon. Saquon is someone that you extend. Now, if he was, you know, the the downhill, you know, four, y- four yards of carry in between the tackles guy, I can hear that. But I think people tend to have these self-fulfilling prophecies about the running back position. Stop listening to pro football focus. Stop listening to these people that only focus on the running back position in terms of, oh, don't pay these guys. But in the playoffs, now you need someone to run the, the ball and now you don't have anybody worth worth this salt because you just said don't take nobody, right? And so when, when they also say, hey, you don't want to pay these guys a second contract, but then they also say, don't take them in the first round. Well, wouldn't you want to take them in the first round when they're when they're young and, and their value is the highest and their, you know, their production is going to be the highest when they're young? And if they produce in all those five years, and yeah, then you can decide at the end, do you want to resign this guy or not? But you definitely want to take guys like Saquon in the first round because that's what they do, you know, and that's the type of back he is. So I don't listen to those people. A lot of those people don't know what the, the hell they're talking about. Um, but in terms of Saquon, Saquon is the offense. They need Saquon. Saquon is someone. They can't find another Saquon, you know, and, and it's going to take them a while to find another Saquon. And so, yeah, you can get by with three, but now you're wasting three spots on the roster with a dude that could do it all by himself. So I would have probably let Daniel Jones go and see what the market says. And if he got more money elsewhere, more power to you, man. Good job. You know, you played yourself into that position uh, by this season, go get your money. But if I'm the giants, I'm taking a chance. We're talking about 15 touchdown passes where we kind of coast around him for the first nine games of the season. And then the games he had, the big games in were against the Colts twice and the Vikings twice. I mean, the Colts once and the Vikings twice. So there's some nuance there. I I, I can probably find someone, you know, to, to fill that void until we get a guy. Or you find someone that you could, you know, hey, can we make a play for? Uh, it's funny how they made the, the, the thing and then it was like, oh, man, we're not. Then LeBar Jackson comes available. It's like, well, damn, we just gave. You know, this, if, if we just waited a week, we probably could have been in play for this dude. But, you know, that's why I'm saying, like, I, I just didn't know who they were competing against. The money is irrelevant because to me, it's like you talk about the passing production. 
And so now you put a lot more onus on him doing what he has to do, throwing a football, and we'll see how that's going to work out. But definitely better, they better find a way to get Saquon in before the season starts. I'm not worried about him throwing OTA. Because, again, if this was last year, yes, because it's a new regime, new offense, new system. All of that is not a question now going into year two. Um, and so I can see if he wants to hold out. You know, I may even send him some, you know, some some spots, you know, free spot visits to go, man, go, yeah, go get your body right, man. Go, go, you know, just be here in September. Hey, Giant fans, the NBA playoffs are almost here. Major League Baseball is getting started. And pretty soon we'll also have the hockey playoffs, the NHL playoffs. And there's no better place right now to get in on the action than at FanDuel, America's number one sports book. That's because right now FanDuel is giving new customers a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Just go to FanDuel.com slash on. And sign up today to claim your no sweat first bet. Then you can wager on everything from the money line to the point spreads to which teams will be winning. So make every moment more with FanDuel. The Giants were said to have offered him a contract averaging about 12.5. I think they went as high as 13. What is his value then? You know, and we know that APY doesn't mean anything because the numbers can be fudged, but in terms of if you're talking for an APY, where would you place him? If here's the thing about Saquon, because he's in such a unique position, he's in a unique position, kind of like Alvin Kamara was in with the with the Saints. Excuse me. It's like, yeah, I'm a running back, but damn, I'm I'm oh man, I'm looking at the stats. Wow, I'm your your leading receiver. Oh my god, I can <laughs> do both. Like, dang, yo, y'all paying me for one position? I'm doing two. Like so. It, it, it would behoove the Giants to quickly develop someone else in the passing game outside of Saquon Barkley because if you're looking at it from that perspective, Saquon is like, wait a minute, I'm the best rusher on the team, I'm the most dynamic player, and I'm also the best receiver or second best receiver? Nah, I'm going to need at least two more million on top of that per year, right? And just because of the value. It's the same game uh, – who was the first to do it? It was the same game that uh, Jimmy Graham tried to pull with the Saints. It's like, yeah, I'm tight in by, you know, position. But, man, I, I spent a lot of time out wide. Like, geez, I don't know when the last time y'all asked me to block. It's almost like I'm playing two positions, right? So I get the I get the, the, the position Saquon has. And because he's in this offense and doing what he does, I think he can ask for a little bit more, maybe two million more, Per year. And at the end of the day, like we like you talked to talked about, and it's a great point because we, we always focus on this year's cap and not realize it's constantly going up. So imagine saying you can get Dak Prescott for 40 million dollars. It's like, oh my God, they gave Dak 40. That's a lot of and then you look at it now, like, damn, 40 million dollars? Like that's they just gave Daniel Jones the same money as, as Dak. You know, <laughs> so I think we look at it from that perspective, and the, the numbers are gonna cons- consistently go up. So so what you got to give Saquon two extra million dollars, man? That's Saquon Barkley, and he means more to your franchise than number twenty six, right? It's like Sterling Shepard, but in a running back form that's that's you know out there balling. You know, they, obviously there's a value put on what a guy means to your franchise that also happens to be still very good at football. So about fifteen million, you would say for Saquon. I would say, yeah, 15. I, I mean, I would, because what would you pay for? And again, I, I get the 
the argument of starting the, the running back clock over with the first round pick. Um, if you were to take one in the first round, and you know, I get it. Um, but 15 million for Saquon Barkley, listen, yeah, you know, now if you were saying 15 million for you know, you or I to play the position, it was like, yeah, nah, go on about your merry way. But Saquon is kind of like, all right, I could, I could spend a little bit more for, you know, a Ruth Chris steak as opposed to a steak at, you know, whoever. You give me char, baby. You gotta try char. <laughs> Beats Ruth's Chris, by the way. But anyway, <laughs> I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. And by the way. Speak for yourself. How, who's to say that we couldn't be good running backs? We could, but they'll be. They'll well, I couldn't. My knees are shot. But. <laughs> they'll have to mind too. They'll have to pay both of us, <laughs> but they will. We wouldn't, you know, warrant what they could potentially pay Saquon. I, I, I just find that Saquon is in that Alvin Kamara position to where the team he's on and the usage he gets kind of he can. His argument is a little bit different than Josh Jacobs' argument. Put it that way. Right. Right. All right, Emery, a couple more for you. When you look at the job that Joe Shane has done assembling the receivers, do they have what they need for, you know, to compete or are they still, you know, because people say you want, when you build a receiving core, you want to kind of build it like a basketball team. You want to have a variety of different skill sets and whatnot. Do they have everything they need or are they still lacking? Listen, I know fans may hate this, but I think they got a lot of what they need, you know, and, and, Again, it's about seeing the, the entire roster. <laughs> Let's say you get a Colin Johnson back healthy, right? He can give you that big inside presence or the big presence on the outside that could win above the rim. Cool. Now you factor in Darren Waller, who's the Jimmy Graham of this offense. He can do a little bit of both, right? He can win inside, win outside. You bring in Paris Campbell, almost like a bigger version of Darius Slayton. The catch and run guy, the speed guy, you got a little bit of that. Now you bring back Slayton, who has a rapport with Daniel Jones, who he trusts and they trust him. And so you have that relationship in tow. You have a Wondell Robinson that could be your gadget guy. You have a, you know, Jameson Crowder that could be your slot guy. Get open, get the first down. Let's keep moving. Let's get back to our offense. Isaiah Hodgins played well down the stretch. Big receiver that runs good routes, gets open, catches with his hands. That's a possession guy. That's a really good option for you out there as well. Jeff Smith has tremendous speed. We saw this with the Jets. His thing, got to stay healthy. But you have a deep threat that can get vertical and track the ball rather well. Then you have Makai Polk, underrated guy they picked up in the middle part of last season, put on a practice squad. I had a high grade on him coming out of Mississippi State. He led the SEC in reception, in receptions. So it's not like he can't catch. He's another one that they kept on the practice squad the rest of the season when they brought him in, kind of like Deshaun, Deshaun Corbin. So... Do they have a plan for Polk? What they see in Polk that they have him around? Oh, by the way, you still have Bellinger, who has a great rapport with Daniel Jones and solid blocker, finds a lot of open space underneath. So I think personally, yes, they have a lot already in tow. The question is, are we willing to take the training wheels off Daniel Jones and have him throw more than we had him throw last year? Now, was that because we didn't have the options? Or we just didn't trust him. So we're about to, we're about to, we are about to see which question that was last year. Because I feel like on paper they've made some significant improvements. It may not be the splashy names, but they've made some significant improvements to where this is a competent uh, receiving core. 
They also could have, you know, because it was a new system, because they did throw more towards the end of the year. You know, they moved away from the 12 personnel and the funky, you know, uh, run blocking schemes that they had where they'd have three extra offensive linemen on the field. And they did, you know, when Isaiah Hodgins came in, they, they started to throw a little bit more with some success. So, you know, not, not, you know, they didn't light up the scoreboard, obviously they were ranked last in big plays, but they, they were starting to, you know, wean Daniel Jones and that passing game off, off of the, the bottle, so to speak. All right. Final question for you. The draft is always known for producing some surprises, things that, you know, we in the media and outside the fans, we all say, Oh, this has got to happen. And then Boom, something happens that just absolutely sets everybody on their ear. I call it a throw the remote moment. When it comes to the Giants, what do you think would be that moment? What do you what do you anticipate that makes sense from a scouting perspective that the Giants will probably do? And it could be any round that maybe is going to cause some people to go, what are you doing, man? In a positive way or in a negative way? A positive way, because you're building the team. So you want right. you want to talk so- positively. Let's say the smoke is legitimate, right? And for whatever reason, on LeBron James Internet, we see Jalen Carter fall. You got to make the pick if you're the Giants. You figure it out. You got to make the pick. And if we're seeing him fall, obviously you don't want – I mean, he fell past Philly. And we know Philly has all the Georgia defensive players. So – I would say that would be the shock that him him falling, mm-hmm. but the Giants getting getting him would be the like, yeah, you got it. Oh, you got Dexter Lawrence, you got Leonard Williams, yeah, but we also now got Jalen Carter too. You know, so I'm saying <laughs> like, I think I think that would be the one um, to really set people off. Or what if they do take the receiver in round one? You know, what if there there is a Zay Flowers or a Jackson Smith and Jigba right there, and they say, you know what, man, bump it. Let's pull a trigger. Let's get them. You know, what if there's a game, a a, a round one trade? What if they're, mm-hmm. you know, the Giants go, hey, we'll give you our first and a guy to either move up in the draft, or we'll give you our first round pick for a player straight up. What if there's a receiver, a veteran receiver? Let's say Devontae Adams that, you know, hey, man, you know, you want to come play in New York? Or what if there's a, uh, you know, the DeAndre Hopkins? We'll give you this for that. So if they make a trade, their first round pick for a player, or if they get one of these superstar guys that have fallen for whatever reason out of the top 10 into them, they got to make that pick. Okay, now you got me curious. What would be a negative thing? A negative would be if they go, you know, I think if they go inside linebacker, you know, I think because I really believe in in Darian Beavers, I feel like, man, he can come back healthy um, and give them what they want. But if they go inside backer in, in the first round, be like, uh, oh, OK, I, I wouldn't even be upset if they went center or guard or, you know, or if they went tackle and say, hey, Evan Neal, we're going to move you to right guard. You know, I don't I don't I don't have a problem with them addressing any offensive line position. Um, or corner or receiver, you know, but I think if they do, or here's the, here's the, here's the one, here's the one as I'm talking through it. What if they take B. John Robinson and then trade Saquon? Oh, that would be one that, that would you like, 
Dang, or Jameer Gibbs and trade Saquon. Like, wow. You know? Wow. I think that would send Giants Nation in the... They'll be conflicted because they'd be like, man, we love Saquon, but damn, these guys over here are good too. Like, it's it's tough. I just bought my Saquon Barkley jersey, but I also not got to get this Gibbs jersey or this, this B. John Robinson jersey. I think that one would be the, the wow. Like, wow. And what if they trade him within the division or if they call up Dallas like hey man we'll we'll give you Saquon for your first round pick like that's not happening that's not (laughs) happening no way I don't think Joe Shane would trade in the division I mean yeah I agree that would that would set everybody on their ear but you know I I don't see him trading Saquon in the division but uh you know in order to trade Saquon I think he has to sign the tag which you know they Obviously, he hasn't done as of this recording, but that would be wild. I mean, can you imagine a tag and trade there? Whew, that again, it makes sense. From a if you're Miami, you need a tailback and mm-hmm. Saquon. You like, man, I can go from here to a tax free state, sign the tag, and send me to Miami or Texas or Arizona or Vegas. Right. <laughs> like, I can see it happening. <laughs> <laughs> the the mind just absolutely is like you know right. it's like so many possibilities like gosh that's that's what's so beautiful about this time of year the draft because just when everybody thinks they know they don't and i don't think the teams actually really know what's going to happen because you can run you know te- a lot of people don't know this but nfl teams actually run mock draft scenarios to see yep. you know kind of gauge how the board might fall but, you know, th- just how things work out, you know, like you said, the phone could ring, you could get a great offer. And now all of a sudden that just messes up the entire order of, of what you were maybe thinking was going to happen. Yep. Uh, again, that that's not on thing about that Saquon trade would be wow. That would be the wow one. Like, oh, wow. Emery, before we let you go, tell everybody where they can find your new draft guide and what you got coming up. The largest draft guide out there, over 1,000 individual scouting reports. You can find it at footballgameplan.com slash 2023 draft guide. It only helps you for the draft, but also helps you through the draft, training camp, preseason. Everybody, we just saw, we just talked about Makai Polk. He would have been in the draft guide last year. You could have seen the scouting report. So we we will go deep on guys that, you know, a lot of people at other places don't. So you get a full color, uh, over a thousand individual prospects, over a thousand pages uh, in a PDF form at footballgameplan.com slash 2023 draft guide. Wow. Over a thousand prospects. You must last year we went over a thousand. Last year we went over a thousand. Uh, this year we, you know, went over a thousand. I was good to say you got over a thousand, but I can't wait till we go back to uh, normal college eligibility rules and guys don't get those bonus COVID years. So we won't have as many, you know, uh, but yes, true. You know, so, yeah, I mean, but cool to say you got over a thousand individual scouting reports. Yeah, it did take a lot of work, you know, so but um, it helps keep you abreast of what's going on all throughout the season. Well, I'm going to have to pick up my copy because your 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 stuff is pretty comprehensive, number one. And number two, what I like about what you do is you don't bow to the norm. So you're you're not following what what everybody else seems to be saying. You have your own opinions. You do your own homework and, you know, look, regardless of whether people agree or disagree with you, the fact that you take a stand and you say, look, this is what I'm seeing. This is what I'm basing my knowledge on. 
I tip my cap to you because not a lot of people will do that. A lot of people will just go with, oh, you know, NFL.com says this is the top prospect. So this must be the top prospect at this position. And you don't do that. Nah, you got to stand on your own. Why create something to be like somebody? Like you create it because you want to have your voice. And if I'm wrong, so be it, you know, but I'm going to be right more times than I'm wrong. And a good part about the draft guy that I really like is the fact that it's good information for what we need. You know, fans want to know who is this guy, Makai Polk, right? Who is this guy, Darren Evans, a giant sign last year as an undrafted free agent out of LSU? Oh, here's what he does well. Here's what he has to improve. That's all I need to know. I don't need to know his vertical jump or his broad jump or his three-cone drill. I just need to know who the hell this dude is. Can he play? What can he play? And then I'm going to keep it moving. All right, Giant fans, that's going to do it for this episode of the Locked on Giants podcast. Thank you so much for making us your first listen of the day or if watching on YouTube, your first watch of the day. Be sure to keep it here all week long. We'll have plenty more coming up. I might have a few more guests for you. I might have a few more surprises for you. So uh, make sure you tune in to find out what's in store. For Emery Hunt, I'm Patricia Trainer, Giant fans. We will see you tomorrow. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.